Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we are joined by Philip Martin, the founder of Blanco Nino. Philip, you're very welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having us. Yeah, delighted to have you. You've, you've been spoken highly of. You're one of the guests that I mentioned to people that I'm having on, and, and they've all spoken highly of you. Um, so typical fashion of the shows, we start with your early days, and then we move on from there. So if my research is correct, I know you're based in Tipperary at the moment, but did you grow up in Dublin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. North, North County Dublin, place called... Kilsalahan, which nearly no one ever has heard of. Um, Never heard of near, it. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's just it's between say the Knoll and Saint Margaret's. There is probably a good place, or maybe you could say Swords and Ashburn, if you want to kind of. I was going to say mentioning yeah. the Knoll as a place for people to recognise is not a big place either. Probably, probably not. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no beaming lights coming from the hills of Knoll. No. Um, yeah, but no, it's it's very very much. Um, a kind of a farming area. We 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 had a farm, but we still have the farm there. Um, I grew up there, but my mum is from Tipperary and Cashel, so there was always a bit of a connection there. But now, certainly, uh, uh, the, the tortilla factory called Clomel home. So, yeah. um, no, not necessarily the the um, the world renowned home for authentic Mexican cuisine, Clomel historically. But uh, we're we're doing our we're doing our best to to put it on the map. You're doing so. a damn good job at it, and and that's what I want to get into today. Funnily enough, as as you're mentioning where you're from, I'm I'm from Rotothan County Mead, so I'm not too far from Ashburn, and I think I can picture the area. There's a there's a small yellow church on the back roads between Ashburn and Swords, so I imagine it's somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, you know the the Kilkee Lodge there. Yes, the Lodge in Ashburn. Yeah. It's not it's not too far down that road there. Okay. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, know it's lovely. It's lovely. Now we're very, very lucky to grow up in that kind of um, that area. Now, to be honest. So very cool. Well, before we move on from growing up out there, people can usually point to when I say people, I'm referencing previous guests. Can usually point to like a small number of people that had a positive impact on them in their early years that helped them become the person they are today. So, like influential characters or people who have had a massive impact. Things like acquaintances, close friends parents teachers any anyone spring to mind for you when i mentioned that yeah yeah well i, I guess there's a few of the, the usual suspects in the sense of you know your your father has a pretty big impact on you when you're growing up now my father actually passed away when i was when i was eight but um you know he was he was very much a, a larger than life character um a, a publican so mm. family business would have been would have been Myo's there in Castleknock. Um, so, you know, there was very much, I would have spent a lot of time, uh, even when I was quite young, in, in the kind of the kitchen and in the pub. Um, so, you know, there's, there's certain probably characters, traits that that environment, you know, um, brings to you. I think it's a gift, yeah. you know, probably makes you a little bit more maybe open and um, maybe comfortable around a lot more people or whatever, whatever have you. But, that, that's probably that's probably one of the bigger ones and it's it is 
the, the, the probably the usual one. Um, the other the other person who generally springs to mind was a was a teacher I had when I went to school in Malahide, and his his name was actually Mr. Linksky. I don't actually know what his first name was, and I'd I'd love to track him down at some point, but because um, I'm I'm highly dyslexic, um, um, and he he would have basically changed the way I kind of look at uh, learning and so on. And rather than being learning being this terrible, you know, drudging task that I would want to avoid like the, like the plague, um, he made me actually enjoy, you know, just absorbing information um, and uh, found a way basically to find my own way of, I learned kind of how to learn, you could say, um, mm. with himself. So I, I think in terms of like, you know, turning the, the, the rudder on a boat at an early age that probably would have been very very instrumental and um, it's amazing it's amazing what a few teachers can do at a very young age and sure. um, and certainly i'd be immensely grateful for to him and and the teachers there uh, when i was quite young because you do when you're when you're uh, dyslexic or you have a different way of absorbing information you know when you're at a younger age you generally think there's something wrong with you or you're just not able to uh, a different way of looking at the world, you know. Well, yeah, the, I, I asked that question of all my guests your episode 130, and I'd say about 40 percent of them can name a teacher that had a massive impact on them and that they, they'll voluntarily name. So, like, most of the time they pick people with their parents, but over I'd say over 50 people have mentioned the name of a teacher without me even saying what teacher they just pick a teacher. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'd like to rewind the clocks before we get into all good things, Blanco Nino, to the year 2011, when you opened up uh, Little Ass Burrito Bar. Uh, you spent over seven years there, which is which is uh, remarkable. O- almost eight years. Uh, kudos to you. A business like that cannot be easy. Um, so my, my, my one question on this is, what lessons did you take from your time at Little Ass Burrito? Did you improve any skills did you go into it with one thought of what it would be like and in the middle of it you're like this is completely different than what i thought of did you improve your building rapport skills finance customer service just give me a broad overview of like what you took from that almost eight years i think well i think you you know that those those questions are really hard because i i don't i think it's all of the above you know really ryan like you when you're and um, when you're opening any business, there's there's such vast quantities that need to be learned. Like I think there's, there's a saying I heard a few years back that um, an entrepreneur is someone who bites off more than they can chew in the hope they can learn how to chew before they choke to death, you know. And there was certainly a large a large amount bitten off in in my case. And you do like a, 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 my general outlook and approach to things is that I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll always figure it out. You know, no matter how tough it is, I'll just, I'll, you know, there's always a way of finding the solution and uh, everything is in a constant state of improvement. So what, what it is today will, will not likely be what it is tomorrow. Uh, and there's always a way to get, get better at things. So, you know, I started off the burrito bar and it's like it transformed, you know, every, every year. Um, in terms of the simple things down to, you know, the, the order of ingredients being put into the burritos, the the way you know your um, your whether it be contracts for employment or how you deal with people, how you manage staff, how you structure a business, you know, your understanding of 
of finance and raising of finance. Like it's a very, very long list. And I, I, I don't, there's nearly, with any business, I think it's rare that there's any portion of life or knowledge that is not uh, in, a, in a constant state of flux or improvement, you know. There's a great couple of one-liners in there already for the podcast. Um, today, you're the, the CEO and founder of um, Blanco Nino. So rather than me give kind of the pitch of, of what it is, why don't you take the mic and tell the, the listeners and, and watchers exactly what it is? Well, Blanco Nino is an authentic um, corn tortilla, a tortilla chip producer based in Clomel, Tipperary. Um, we... We, in short, make uh, all natural, uh, traditionally made, naturally gluten-free um, corn tortillas, tortilla chips, and we sell them across 16 European markets. Um, and with actually the, the corn tortillas into restaurants, bars, and hotels. Now, the tortilla chips, which are more recently launched, we sell um, in Ireland, the, the UK, Sweden, so far. But we're quickly... Like that's been quite explosive in terms of growth, which is um, which is very very exciting. But um, but we're we're producing product in a way that is is to a degree um, less common by the day. So we bring in corn from the Americas. We cook for about an hour, uh, depending on the product. We then steep overnight in large uh, vats. Uh, so the corn steeps in the water overnight and then we then uh, volcanic stone grind that corn into a corn dough called massa and then we take that ground corn dough and we shape and we bake it into corn tortillas and some of those tortillas go to restaurants and um, you know bars and hotels and then some of them we, we basically keep and we allow it to rest overnight um, to uh, before being um, cut and lightly fried into the tortilla chips so We've got a small number of ingredients, you might say inputs, like the like corn is really um, the, the, the main ingredient outside of things like salt and, you know, um, chili for the seasoning and, and certain things mm. with, the, with the chips. But it's really, it's the variance in the process and the granularity of the corn and the, uh, the how, how long it's baked, how the temperature of the water. So, you know, out of a relatively short, you know, ingredient list, there's quite a large number of products that are produced. Um, but that process, that slow uh, process of nextimization, which is what it's called, um, it's as old as you know, three thousand plus years. Um, you know, that it was originally the reckon was originally invented by the the Olmec, uh, built in around the the Yucatan there, um, and they reckon that it was originally discovered. Now it's all it's all hypothesis, but. Um, through a process of you know the lads sitting on the beach or wherever have you and they basically had seashells uh, that they'd cooked you know up or whatnot and they had put corn or the ancestor of corn and I can't pronounce the ancestor of corn I'd murder the name but um, in a pot and the process of cooking the corn with the, the, the seashells basically the calcium leached from the seashells into the corn and had this they call nextimization, which is basically calcium cooking or cooking um, cooking alkaline cooking is another way of calling it. But it, but that process of alkaline cooking transforms corn from being relatively indigestible to being um, more so in the sense of its bioavailability to being incredibly bioavailable and you know the the staple of so many Mesoamerican civilizations. Um, 
And without that process, it's arguable that you wouldn't have had this kind of flourish of incredible uh, civilization in, in the, the Mesoamerican region. But they, um, they recognized that the Olmecs were the first boys to belt away at it, and they used uh, basically seashells, which is where the calcium came from. And then supposedly the Maya following them used actually more commonly uh, calcium rich wood ash. And then the Aztecs were the boyos who um, basically got calcium from the ground, uh, which is the more the more recent kind of uh, iteration, but say more recent, that's, you know, it's way over uh, 1,000, 2,000 years old, probably at this point. Um, but the, the thing is most producers have now drifted from this traditional process. Um, they're now basically just rehydrating corn flour um, whereas, you know, we're, we're doing it the old fashioned way. Um, and we're, we take about, uh, well, it's over three days to make the product from start to finish. Whereas the average tortilla chip will take about 25 minutes, you know, um, and that's that amount of kind of time, um, between the slow steeping of the corn and the slow overnight resting of the corn, that just, the, that time is almost an ingredient in itself. To get the flavor in the corn, you need that slow steeping process. And um, to get the kind of the, the crunch in the chip, it needs the overnight resting. Um, you could fry there and then, but it wouldn't be the same and it would have a much higher um, oil content as well. And so there's, there's a there's methods in the madness, you know, mm. with a lot of these tradition, uh, traditional processes. It, it, it's fascinating because I watched I watched the segment you had on, on RT of I don't know if it was the same factory you're in now, but it brought you through the process and I'll leave the link to the video below. It's like a nine, 10 minute video um, if anyone's interested in watching it. Uh, and that led me to your website before I was doing research for this podcast uh, to purchase a box of six tortillas. So I'm looking forward for them around so I can, so I can taste them. Um, in terms of, you're obviously a, a food company. So in terms of when you think of, uh, let me rephrase it. Is there something that you think potential food startups in Ireland or the UK should pay attention to when getting started? Something that if they don't pay attention to could be detrimental to their business or their bottom line revenue. I know that you've got like, obviously, I think it's eight core company values that you live by. Um, and, and I'll leave a link to them below. But is there something that you, that you think of that uh, potential food startups should pay attention to? Well, the, the thing is, we've done nearly everything the most difficult way possible. <laughs> like, if we're, <laughs> if we're being honest, you know, like, um, most food startups now, um, there tends to be, I would my often call it a spectrum of food startups. You'll have incredibly good um, marketing and branding individuals who go and get a private manufacturer, private label manufacturer to produce a product on their behalf. Um, and they just market and sell the product. And then you'll often uh, have times whereby you'll have these manufacturers who their core competence isn't uh, marketing and branding and they'll just produce you know, product for uh, businesses who are very good at marketing and branding. And then you'll have the, the kind of rare kind of case whereby you'll have uh, a brand that is significant enough and they're kind of producing and marketing their own stuff um, but they, those big, big outfits tend to be, um, you have a lot of them that are like, say, a, a PepsiCo and these guys who are immensely impressive, but they, they, they in my opinion, kind of go very far down the hyper-efficiency route um, and sometime, and, and, you know, that's the, that's the middle market and that's, you know, there's, there's a great appetite for that product. Um, whereas we're, 
we're in a way a, a blend of what would be kind of an artisan kind of micro family run style of approach to production with um with the want and desire to you know we spend a lot of time and effort in uh designing our packaging and and uh, putting our best foot forward and then we just we have a lot of ambition in terms of um distribution and, and uh, making sure we're as efficient as possible and running the business in in a very process oriented way so we're, we're quite a kind of a strange one in the sense of how we've approached it and going back to kind of manufacturing um, in a very um, quite an old old approach but mm. for people who are starting out um, it's 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 a it's most people starting out now tend to be doing it um, private label manufacturing for someone else and uh, it wasn't for you me, reckon, it wouldn't be for me. I was going to say, do you reckon that is because they're they're looking to get into it to make a profit, whereas you went into it for the love, love of it? Probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, like, look, I, I certainly, it's very, it's very important to me that we make, you know, we make money as well. Now, I just mm. have to be mildly obsessed, uh, obsessive, you know, personality, and I just want to do things a certain way, and I don't tend to be fairly uncompromising in that. So, um, but yeah, if, if people want to make money and make money quick, it makes little sense to, you know, try and reestablish, say, a traditional process completely on the other side of the planet from which it's derived. You know, like it's not, Carmel is not known for its, you know, generational tortilla makers, you know, <laughs> like it's not, it's not like you can pick a volcanic stone carvers around the corner. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of learnings and, and pain that goes into going through that process. And um, it's not easy. It's not, doesn't happen quick. So it, it really depends on the motives. You know, if, if you, um, if you love a certain product or an industry and you're, you're making like a 10, 20 year commitment to it, you approach it very different in a very different way than if you, you know, want to build a band and sell it in three years, you know, uh, it's a completely different approach mm. and it, it really comes down to the business. But there's some fundamental stuff that everyone needs to get right, you know, in terms of having the right people on board uh, who share and believe in the same things that you you believe in. Um, there's there's nothing worse than you know going down the road with people who have a completely different vision of what's at the end of it, you know, um, and and that can be just carcinogenic. Um, so uh, people is, is just immensely important and, and it's, it's a nearly a cliche you know i think every bloody business book says it and everyone says it but it's it's just it is it's it's a cliche because it's true and at the i was just going to say it, it's evident because it, your business is continued to to grow and and the success of it is, is brilliant I, i'm reading a couple of things here um, you've, you've got a growing list of achievements, winner of Best New Idea at Ireland's Best Young Entrepreneur 2014, finalist in the AIB Startup Awards 2015, uh, the Journal's 2016 Irish Companies to Watch, and then most recently, your chili and lime tortilla chips have reached the finals of the Bloss and the Heron Irish Food Awards this year. Um, yeah. That's just a couple of the awards that I've picked out. I could continue to talk, but... Um, what would you say to anyone thinking of putting themselves forward for such awards? Is it is it great in terms of publicity, uh, team morale? I guess my real question is why do it? Um, well, there's a there's a there's a commercial incentive to go right. Well, if we actually if we get our product recognised um, as being 
special as being of a, of a certain standard. It, it does make the, the lives of the, the sales guys easier, you know, when it comes around to uh, having a chat with their, their buyer or so on. So there's a reality there. And when it comes to like um, awards for recognition, you know, I, I think, well, certainly in my case, I have a habit of just, you know, plowing on day after day and not really recognizing kind of achievement or, or um, celebrating kind of milestones or that type of thing. So historically, those kind of awards have been a means of us kind of recognizing, well, fuck, you know, maybe we're doing something right here. <laughs> you know? I'm right. So, so like it's, it's, um, it's, I think there's a very good place now, and I, I, I recommend people should do it, even the, the process of submitting these applications. And it's been a very long time since I've, I've, um, we've submitted kind of one of these applications, but they do also, um, there's an element of challenge in, um, they ask you a lot of questions, pointed questions, if it's a business one as to what you're doing uh, or applying to an accelerator. And the process of even answering those questions will give value to the person completing the form. For you know. sure. Um, my, my next question, actually, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that question I have in front of me. And it's, uh, what's next for you? You know, you, you, you started, I guess, uh, five years, over five years ago, and now you're selling to... 350 more than 350 stores some of them are the likes of done stores and super value you've expanded to the uk and some of the nordic countries so if you look at like three to five years down the line uh where's future growth coming from well there's a there's an immense 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 amount of opportunity there at the moment um like we're it's a very rare day that we get a no um off anyone we send products to so um, in terms of growth, we, we see the Europe being, um, there's many years of growth left in Europe just within tortilla chips, just opening up in different markets and then expanding into different markets. But outside of tortilla chips, uh, we're gonna be looking at introducing um, salsas. Now we, we're, it's gonna be a long journey by itself. There's a, there's a, we have an idea of how we can actually produce a really special product. And it's just, it sits outside kind of the conventional approach to making salsas at scale. So there's a, quite a bit of um, figuring out in terms of process design and that kind of thing to do that. Um, but really, do you know what, outside of new product development and that kind of thing, um, I'm, I'm now kind of in a place whereby I, I want to make sure that we're building a business that is enjoyable as possible to build on a daily basis and that everyone is enjoying being part of the company and, and make the day day as, as fun, as enjoyable as possible. Uh, because, you know, focusing too much on an, an end objective can really kill uh, people in the short term and like there, there needs to be like there's goals and there's targets and all that sort of stuff but making the day-to-day -day as enjoyable as possible I think is, is, is crucial so um, that's you know I, I also want to see that most of our uh, investors are given like an exit opportunity at some point in the future um, you know uh, not too far away on the horizon but I would foresee myself being involved in the business um, next 10, 20 years at least, you know. Uh, nice. But I said the day I, I step back would be basically the day I recognize that I'm no longer the best person to run the business, as opposed to any want and desire to to be, you know, um, to be leave, to leave it. So, yeah. uh, like, I'm certainly, I certainly am not probably the, I don't have all the competencies of running a much bigger company. 
and there will come mm. a point whereby someone far more proficient at such uh, will be will be there or should be there and at that point yeah. i'll kind of i'll start kind of reducing my kind of day-to-day i'd say that's impressive that you can one recognize that but two admit that that's a uh, that's that's not common there's there's a there's a small group of people that have led companies to such a high growth stage that they recognize going actually my talents aren't in this i'm going to step back i, I can name a few who stepped into cmo or uh CRO roles and and brought in a ceo because they knew they weren't the person to bring the company to that next stage so kudos to you for recognizing that a few more questions left for you, Phil. Um, I'd like you to rewind to like a very young Phil, like 18, 19 years old, before you embarked on the, this journey. Um, and can you think, and then, and then fast forward to current day, Phil, and look in the gaps between, can you think of a skill that when you started out in your career, you weren't great at, but was important or maybe even critical to improve on if you wanted to thrive in the industry you're in? And if so, if you can think of one, what is that? Um, it's, it's it's tough. It's tough. Like it, it, it's it's uh you could I said before like it's nearly nearly everything it needs to <laughs> needs to improve. But the one key thing, um, the one key thing is probably the management of people, um, and the the finding of the people. I'd say like I I think if if you can if you can get good at finding good people that are aligned. Um, you know, the, the rest of it can, becomes a lot easier. Mm. Um, so like I, I, I've made mistakes in the past, uh, whether it be with the restaurant or otherwise hiring people on skill alone and going right, you know, they're, they're able to do the job and, um, and not, you know, ensuring kind of team fit and not having as holistic as a, as a view of kind of how this person might work with that person, team dynamic and, and now our recruitment process is is very very thorough, and um, uh, there's quite a quite a lot that goes into it. That kind of that checks certain parts of the um, certain, yeah. certain boxes. You know, whether it be competence is very important and capability and all that. But then you know, uh, team dynamic and ensuring that uh, there's a right amount of complementary skill sets and how that team will look like with that person in it. So it's just. I'd say people it's just getting getting better with um, knowing people, being able to probably see bullshit when it's uh, it's been said, and, and just understanding people better is probably what it is. Maybe fine. Um, that's that's it's, what it's, I can it's, think. It's, it's a good answer. I've got two short questions left for you, uh, and and then we're finished. Um, have you got a personal definition of what success means to you? So, short, short answers, short answers. Uh, so the, the, the trick is, I think most of us uh, often define what we think success is based on what everyone else perceives success to be, uh, as opposed to kind of challenging ourselves to go, well, look, what actually are the things that I enjoy most doing? Um, and I, I think more recently, success has just become about actually uh, making making sure the team is working together really well, uh, enjoying as much the day-to-day of running the business and ensuring that, you know, everyone's making good money, uh, the business is going the right direction and, and enjoying each day as opposed to an idea of, you know, um, 
having a G5 and uh, living somewhere. Um, and my philosophy is very much as if I can make the day-to-day -day work and home really well, whatever, say, material possessions I would like, I'm, I would, my belief is that that will come in time. And mm. um, if I just focus on making each day as good as possible uh, for the business, for the team, for, for customers, for suppliers, um, and so on. Nice. Final question for you is if you had the decision-making power to add a mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum that's currently not on it, what would it be and why? Um, it would, it would probably, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff I'd probably like to have, but there's a, I, I'd say it has to be um, practical financial education in terms of like actually how mortgages work you know uh, the the effects of compound interest and saving and investing and um, i think there's there's a currently there's a bit of a it's a terrible situation i feel where by so much of the of the population of the world feel disenfranchised and outside of the say the financial system and i think a, a bit of education at a younger age in terms of you know how things like stock markets work or uh, and, and increased participation um, in these kind of wealth generating systems and even just, you know, how to, how to exist in the world. Like I think so much of, um, of our education is, is detached from day-to-day -day practice, uh, practice and how to actually live. Um, mm. So I, I think if there was something more in terms of um, practical financial education, how to, how to raise um, or how to get a mortgage, you know, or, yeah, these little things, you know. But I haven't Good really answer. talked too much about that, to be honest now, Ryan. I'd, uh, I'd probably want to, yeah. It's a question I like to throw people the end to get their honest thoughts on it. So you, you answered it well. Uh, Philip, it's been a pleasure spending the last 30 minutes with you. Uh, I'm looking forward to my uh, uh, box of six uh, tortilla uh, chips arriving. Uh, I'll let you know what I think of them. But uh, for spending 30 minutes with me today. Yeah. Hope uh, the listeners enjoyed it as much as I did and wish you continued success. Brilliant. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, we actually, we only launched uh, that um, part of the website not too long ago. Uh, so we're doing direct to consumer now, which is uh, a, a, a new horizon of the source. Are you, so. are you driving many sales from the website? Is that it? Or is it just in stores? Um, well, we, we've just, we're starting to uh, look at e-commerce now as well or from the website and we really need to try and drive that on a bit more that's um, but it's mainly all in stores at the moment so um yeah the website's blanco-nino.com if anyone wants to check it out nice yeah well I'll, I'll leave links to that and the video i mentioned that you're on rte and and your linkedin and everything below but yeah look it's been a pleasure today and uh, i'll uh, let you go back to your day if your metro don't trust you, I'm gonna show you Beautiful morning, you're the sun of my morning, baby